Hello. Welcome to the Call It Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keyes, and in this episode of Call It Like I See It, we're going to consider the recent rulings by this Colorado Supreme Court and the main Secretary of State that Donald Trump is ineligible to, for president and to run for president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. And discuss the conflict that this you know, presents between kind of our democratic ideals and our allegiance to the Constitution. And later on, we're going to react to the reports that 2023 was, once again, uh, the warmest year on record in terms of, you know, since we've been keeping records of these things. Joining me today is a man who's been bringing in New Year's in style for decades. Tunde Ogonlana. Tunde, were you able to party like it's 1999 once again this year? No, um, because in 1999, I was 21 years old and I partied hard. Oh, okay, okay. And a few nights ago, I was 45. (laughs) So (laughs) that's the difference. No mas, no mas. Yeah, exactly. No mas for sure. So I had a good time, but it just wasn't crazy. There we go. (laughs) All good, all good. All right. Now we're recording this on January 2nd, 2024. And based on how 2023 ended, it certainly appears that 2024 is going to be a pretty crazy year. Now, we already know we have our next presidential election, which always makes things a little bit more interesting uh, scheduled for this November. Uh, But there's been an unusual and unexpected development, at least unexpected for most of us. Uh, get thrown into the mix. And that is, you know, and that could a development that could upend many people's expectations. Uh, you know, recently, the Colorado Supreme Court, as I mentioned, and also the main secretary of state ruled to remove Donald Trump from the presidential primary ballot just on a finding that he is ineligible for president uh, based on the Reconstruction era 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, particularly Section 3, which says that anyone who essentially that anyone who has previously held office and swore allegiance to the Constitution and then engage in insurrection can no, can then not be eligible for office at the, for the United States once again. And so it's those three characteristics or those two characteristics, having previously been an officer and then sworn allegiance and then engage in insurrection. And so they're saying that Trump you know, was previously president and then he <laughs> engaged in insurrection. So therefore, this provision bars him. Now, everyone acknowledges this was put in place primarily with in, in respect to the Confederates. But it's, it's on the books. It remains in place. And so it looks like it's going to have to make force many Americans to choose between their passions and their constitution. So to get us started, Tunde, what, what are your thoughts on the insurrection, this insurrection clause in the 14th Amendment and how it is appearing to be that it's going to be applied or it may be applied in this case? Um, it's a very good question. I, I say that as you ended uh, your, your comments there, made me realize that, that, yeah, people are, people are approaching this, uh, in a certain way. And, and it's, and it's a good point. This is, this is, this is where we do have to question our passions versus the, the, um, as you put it, our passions, passions versus the constitutional order, let's say. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, admittedly the constitution kind of like the Bible, um, in a certain sense is a framework. Um, and it's a guidepost for how we should conduct ourselves, you know, the Bible from a religious standpoint or any scripture for a religion. And then here is, is supposed to be a secular version of that for how to run our society here in the United States. 
The, it's and the so, ultimate law of the land. You know, ultimate law correct. of the land. You know, what it says is what is, is the law of the land. You know, suppose yeah, like when, and, when you and, have, and, you know, all men. And actually, laws, so well, let me, let me just kind of dig on that a bit. I use the word secular on purpose and not to disrespect yeah. religion because the founding fathers of the United States all believed in God. Uh, they wrote that, you know, pretty extensively and they all uh, were Christian or deist, you know, and, and believed in the Judeo-Christian order. Let's let's say it that way, right? So no one can deny that or we're not wanting to deny that. But what they saw was the need to have a rule of law that was not tied to a religion because every time you tie religious law to running a big society that has a bunch of different types of believers within the society, then you run into problems because everyone interprets religion differently. And it's interesting, James, just on the weekend, I was reading an article about the Methodists attacking the Baptists for something. Yeah. And it just, you know, it just was a good reminder that within Christianity itself, there's been a lot of infighting between the different denominations. So having law from a constitution that's separate than anyone's religion is supposed to alleviate the inability to get past certain um, debates and, 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 and be able to function, you know, run the society. Now, you said a good thing as I wrote it down here. Why is this even a question? This is, again, what happens when we don't um, immerse ourselves in our own country's history. Because, you know, I know this isn't to talk about the Civil War, but this is all coming out of the Civil War, the 14th Amendment. The citizenship by birthright is one issue that I know we'll cover. And then to your point, the insurrection, the idea that we had a group of Americans who decided to band together and form something called the Confederacy, uh, the Confederate States of America, and they attacked the United States. And so because of that, there were many people who were serving in the U.S. government at the time before the secession of the Confederates. And once the war was over, the country had to figure out how do you deal with people who are part of our country and who were actually part of the government at the time of the beginning of the Civil War, but they decided to go against the United States. They fought for what happened, what turned out to be a traitorous group, an enemy of the country from within. How do you deal with that? And the country was only about 70 years old. So this was, you know, the first time we had to address these questions. Yeah. So that, yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's the key piece there is it didn't, everybody in the Confederacy isn't implicated by this. It was only right. the people who were in government already, in the U.S. government. And so seemingly having already taken a position that, hey, they're with the U.S. government. And then to say, oh, you're with us. And then you go against us. And I mean, there's a couple of things. I, I think one of the pieces I, I want to just expand upon briefly is when you said as far as the, the while the, the founding fathers were people who had religious beliefs and you know talked about those religious beliefs. They wrote the Constitution specifically to not be a part of those religious beliefs. And a core piece of that is that the core, the point of the Constitution is what they had observed throughout you know through these human uh, societies is that people's passions oftentimes ended up determining what would happen. Like the mob would get mad, or an, or a king would get mad, or a priest would get you know feel a certain way about something, and then people would just act in a way that was inconsistent, or that was just whatever felt good in the moment. And so the point of preparing or having a document be your guiding principle, being your ultimate law of the land, is that it says what it says. And so ideally, you get more consistency; people can know what to expect, and so forth. So it's to get the passions out, you know, and say, okay, wait. You, if, if you're going under a rule of law society and then how you actually feel about something 
is less important than what actually the, it, it, what actually the rule and the law says how that should be dealt with. And so that's why I said this is going to raise a really interesting, uh, I, I think, it, it, it expression of that because there are people on the right that don't want Trump out. There are people on the left. They're like, Hey, I don't know. I don't necessarily, I don't like taking him off the ballot or, you know, they come up, you know, when people don't like something, they're going to come up with justifications that sound like they rationed it, re- reasoned it out, you know, but they really just don't like it. You know, we talked about that in, uh, you know, the, the, the righteous mind, uh, when we did that book a while, right, a while back. So ultimately we have a lot of people that are just, that are, they don't like the idea of this or are uncomfortable with it. And they're coming up with reasons why they don't like it, but ultimately they don't like it. But, that's the interesting thing about the constitutional system is that you're supposed there are things that the law by operation of the law happen that you may not like. And, you know, you're going to have to choose at that point. Basically, are we going to try to just ignore the law or are we going to try to or are we just going to you know stay consistent with our, our constitution, which is what we supposedly, you know, is, is what the United States is based on is, you know, we pledge allegiance to this flag, you know, all that stuff. But all of that is. The, you know, the Constitution is, is all of that stuff. So, it, you know, is what is, all that is organized under, I should say. So, yeah, I thought it was a good point that you raised as far as getting the passions out. And just re- before I kick it back to you, I want to uh, define one thing, and, and, and that is insurrection, because it's t- it's referenced. And so it's not just any u- disagreement you have with the government, because what comes up here is, oh, OK, well, freedom of speech and yada, 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 and which is another ideal we have. And where you to define insurrection, and this is coming from Oxford languages, is a violent uprising against an authority or a government. And so there's there's a violent component there. And so it, for this for all of this stuff to matter, what we have to find out or what the, the two things need to be determined is what did someone, whether it be Donald Trump or someone else, you know, already swear an oath to defend the Constitution? And then did they engage in insurrection or give comfort you know, to, to others who, who did? And so that's really that's the legal mechanism. But again, most people aren't getting really deep into the neat legal mechanisms of this. You know, it's kind of people deciding what they want. But so looking at that definition and all the things at play here, you know, kind of what, what are you comfortable with the decision that we're going? And after I just said whether we're comfortable with it doesn't matter. I know. But are you comfortable with it? Do you like the, the way things are going or, you know, like, do you have your own misgivings about this? Yeah. So um, I have, you know, my own discomfort with it. Yeah. Um, as much as I. Um, do believe what I saw on January 6th was an insurrection. Um, I don't like the idea of someone being taken off a ballot where the voters aren't able themselves to decide uh, if they want this type of behavior to continue. Uh, meaning, and just real and by, quick, be, yeah. that's very normal. Like that is that when I said, you know, the conflict of our democratic ideals, that's your democratic ideal right there being like, oh, yeah. whoa, whoa, Hold up, you know. So that's that's. I would think that many Americans would have well, no, discomfort in that. And that's and that's kind of where I'm going with it is that you know you 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 would hope that um, we all you know in a democracy I think we're we're whether people want to say the official definition is a certain way or not we all feel like it is majority rule that it, if a majority of voters support something that will happen and in this way what I'm saying is the way of being of our leadership is the United States. So if Americans overwhelmingly like to have a president that doesn't accept his election loss results, that, you know, continues to attack the successor, successor administration in a very, like, like you said in our, one of our recent shows, constant campaign mode. This is very new to the American system. I mean, we've definitely in our lifetime have never seen any president continue for years after they're out of office to just 
deride the country, right? And say this whole system is bad under this person and all this stuff. So if Americans like that, I mean, my personal opinion is they should be able to continue to have that, right? We should be able to, through elections, if people want Donald Trump back, the majority of Americans, I believe they should have him back. If they don't want him back, they shouldn't have him back. And I think by doing what we've seen already, taking him off the ballots in primaries in two states, if he were to lose the 2024 presidential election by and was held off the ballot in these two states, it gives him room to argue that he was usurped and all that. And we continue down this road of this continued distrust of the system and maybe even expands the distrust. So that's the part of me that says, as a kind of, like you said, a normal human being in this environment saying, if I believe in democracy, I'd like to have to see the voters have uh, the full say. Now, that's the one side of my brain. The other side, because I can walk and chew gum, is say, um, you know, this guy clearly did things that he intentionally attacked our norms and our system. And he lied about an election result. And it's evident that he lied. And it's evident that anybody that was of any credible nature, including his attorney general, Rolling Barr, his vice president, all the lawyers in his, in his outfit that he first had before he fired them all and, and stopped listening to him. Anyone who, who, who was trying to get to him to tell him the truth, he ignored their, their, you know, he ignored that advice and kept seeking yes men that would do his bidding. So, and I know we'll get into some of that. So the answer is, yeah, I'm torn in a sense because you're right. If I look at the actions and the behavior of former President Trump, I do believe he incited the violence on January 6th. And I do believe he knew he lost the election fair and square. And he was just upset about it and, and yeah. didn't honor the peaceful transition of power that has been a staple of the United States, you know, historically. So in that yeah. sense, I, mean, I think, yeah, he should be, he's fine leaving him off the ballot. But in the other sense, as, a, as someone who embraces democracy, I feel torn. That, well, no, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I said. Yeah. I would think most Americans would have that. I would think most of, I would want Americans to have that kind of conflict, you know, like in the sense, because yeah, it does feel, I'm, I'm offended by the idea of taking someone off the ballot who you know, otherwise would qualify, so to speak. I like, we had to be careful with that though, because again, yes, the majority rules, but in a constitutional system, the majority rules subject to the constitution. The majority can't vote to inst institute slavery because we have the 13th Amendment. And so it doesn't matter what the 80%, 90% of people can say, yeah, yeah, let's have slavery. And that, the Constitution says we can't. So, you know, the, the majority can't rule to take away, you know, freedom of speech or that for the, the majority can't vote to have an official religion because those things are, are barred in the, the Constitution. So it's, it's always subject to the Constitution. But I'm made uncomfortable by taking someone off the ballot. I'm made I'm equally made uncomfortable, though, with efforts that are made to disenfranchise voters, you know, to to, to take voters off the the rolls and just block voters from from voting. And so all of that stuff makes me uncomfortable. And that happens. And, you know, like I've had to live with discomfort for a couple for decades on that because people's efforts to, to, to try to influence elections by by limiting who can vote and so forth. So but. That's where you have to square it. I mean, it, it, of all that you're people are going to hear a lot of arguments on why this is important or why this isn't important or why this is legitimate and why this isn't legitimate. What I'm always looking for, though, is whether these are whether these arguments are principled or whether it's about trying to find a way to, to just let the passion through, you know, and it's like, I don't like this. So therefore, I'm going to come up with a reason in order to 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 say it's wrong. 
because the principle to me in this case, like I'm, I, I don't like the idea of removing someone if they're, if they're 35, you know, like, again, we, there are other qualifications for for president that somebody could be removed from the ballot from. If you're not 35 and you try to start a presidential campaign, they'll remove you from the ballots, you know, no matter how many signatures you have and so forth. So if you're 35, if, or if you're, if you're 35, if you're a natural born or you're a citizen born here and lived here for 15 years, or I think it's 15 years, you know, all these other constitutional qualifications for president, then I'm uncomfortable taking them off, taking somebody off the ballot. But I have to if I'm going to say that, you know, I am it's if I, I support the U.S. Constitution and that is, you know, again, like that, that's the ultimate law of the land. Then I have to put that aside and say, OK, on the principle, it's a principle thing on the principle that this is what the law says, then, you know, th- th- this person shouldn't be there anymore. O- otherwise, the, the law does the Constitution does allow for amnesty for this. You know, I know you want to get into that. If you can get two thirds vote and I think both houses of Congress then he can get back. Then, then that wipes it away. So to me, that's the response that not all of this, you know, all of this uh, legal or, or this, this complaining and whining and, you know, oh, woe is me. Yada, yada, yada. I should be like, hey, he should be trying to get the, the Senate in the House. If everybody feels like this, get the Senate in the House to, 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 to waive the requirement for him, which is called for in the Constitution. Yeah, well, that would actually take understanding the system and working. So that that may not happen. I don't hold your breath on that. But that would that would take respecting the system, which is what we're talking yeah. about. It's not respecting the system if you lose and just say, "Hey, I'm just going to try to bum rush this thing." That's not respecting the system. So it's it's a continued lack of respect for the system. And so yeah. it's understandable that the system would take steps to defend or has mechanisms in place and would take steps to defend itself against someone who is hostile to the system. I mean, that makes sense. Well, it's really. Uh, I mean, you bring up something interesting, which is, you know, I know not the basis of our discussion, but it's really if you go 30,000 feet, what you just said, it's just, you know, this tug of war for the emotions and the spirit of the American voter. You know, you're right. Who's going to win? Is it going to be fealty to a person and that kind of way of thinking and idea? Or is it going to be to the system? And saying well, that the but it's not is- just that, though, because remember, there are people on. The, of course, there are people on, on the right or the Republicans that are crying foul. But there's a lot of people in the Democratic Party that are like, oh, I don't know if we should be doing this. Uh, you know, like this. We need to beat them at the ballot box. And because that's what's best for the nation. And like there are a lot of people I've seen on on different sides that are that are coming down saying, hey, I don't think. No, I get it. But like, once you and I, I get it. I mean, look, in, even in preparing for today, I learned more than I knew before preparing for today. So not everybody is out there with a show like ours, you know, going to steep themselves in this type of information and background on this topic. But I just think that, you know, there's enough public information, let's just put it that way, um, that's credible and from credible sources that it's pretty obvious that there was a campaign, like you said, to attack the system of the United States and there has been no evidence, even, I mean, we are in January of 2024. So we are now literally three years from the January 6th insurrection, um, January 6th of 21. And um, there still is yet to be any evidence that former President Trump has really shown that somehow he's right, that the election was stolen and that, you know, I, I, there's still no evidence, right? So the bottom line is, is that without, with a lack of evidence, then it clearly appears to be fabricated. And, you know, one of the things that in, in, in looking at and going back to kind of the why, the insurrection, we all think of just a January 6th attack, but what was really the purpose of it? The purpose was to try and get the vice president, which thankfully he didn't go along with this scheme, to not certify 
certain uh, electors from certain states, which would then defranchise the will of voters in those states who actually cast votes for Joe Biden. Donald Trump was trying to get that, you know, other politicians with power to lie and say that, no, that actually wasn't true. These are the actual electors that are actually valid when they weren't. So but that I think in you're making sense, this issue more complicated than it needs yeah. to be, man. Like what, whether he lied isn't that important right now. Whether he was, whether, you know, like he, that's a, a, you know, you either, you know, you either do your business or get off the pot, you know, like type of thing. He, he lied. He could or he couldn't prove when he had the chance, you know, in court and all that stuff. He didn't prove it. So it's over. It's not like we're not waiting for him to prove it anymore. He had he had a shot to prove it. He failed. So that's it. And so he's continuing on this path, whether he lied and whether what the, all the stuff they were trying to do in order to actually maintain power, which there were other things be, be, beyond the violent insurrection. There were other things they were doing. There was like you talked about the fake elector scheme, all this stuff. But none of that really matters to the issue at hand. All that matters right now is did he previously swear an oath to defend the Constitution? He was an officer, your president. And did he engage in or support others who were who engaged in a violent insurrection? That's it. All the all the whys don't matter because the law doesn't doesn't get into all of those whys. It, it matters. Did he do it or not? And I mean, and that's why I wanted to read that. But that I think that's piece. where I think uh, we're both kind of coming to the same conclusion. The, 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 the evidence that I'm bringing up of things like the elector scheme and all that all contribute to the why that, that it says, yes, but the did, why, this it, isn't but this led yeah. to a violent insurrection. Because the but idea this is a was strict the liability kind of thing. Like, let, yeah. let's say like that. This is a strict liability. Like the why he could have been right. But if he engages in a violent insurrection after having previously sworn, sworn an oath, the 14th Amendment bars him from running again. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like, it, 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 what matters is that, like you read the text. None of that other stuff matters. You know, it's a very interesting tell that I thought about in preparing for today. Do you know what his first? Honestly, I remember this was a few weeks ago. The first um, attempt to come back at this issue was. He tried what? to say that he never swore an oath to the Constitution. Yeah, I do remember. Remember? That. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. the that's the interesting tell. I'm well, no, it was right? yeah, yeah. He said he never. Yeah, exactly. Like instead of instead of saying something else, it. it was initially like, "Oh no, I never said it." And then remember well, on the news a, for like two days, there was pictures new, of him. With a little his more hands nuanced. Up. Yeah, it was that he wasn't an officer, or that he, you know, his oath wasn't <laughs> what the ones they were talking about. So it was, but nonetheless, I mean, this is what this is. What this being applied to him is is the same, essentially the same thing as. Jefferson Davis not being able to hold office again, who was the president of the Confederacy after the, you know, after the, 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 the Civil War. Jefferson Davis can't go back to being a, a senator or whatever. He can't run for president and stuff like that. And I don't think if, if you frame it like, that way, I don't think people would, you know, like think it's crazy like that. But Jefferson Davis never picked up a gun, you know, and, and sh shooting at Union soldiers, soldiers and so forth. So, again, it, it, it's very easy to let other things kind of confuse the matter. And honestly, the people who don't want to 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 have the 14th Amendment do what it's supposed to do here are the ones that try to make it more complicated, typically, because it's like it, it really isn't that complicated, though. And I mean, and it's and again, I'm not comfortable with the idea of moving them off the ballot. But when I look at what the stuff says and what what I saw happen, it's like, oh, well, I don't see there's there's much leeway here. Um, so but I, I briefly, we'll get to this. Um, uh, the just. In the opposition, you know, whether it be the the like you said, the the the, the putting one man on a pedestal, the idolatry, or the, the the fear, you know, intimidation, you know, or or making Trump a martyr, or people that you know say, hey, oh, we got to beat a populist in the ballot box. Do any of those stand out to you as you know either particularly concerning or particularly thoughtful or particularly just notable in any way? No, um, I think it's it's look, this is not abnormal when you do have. Um, 
you know, ambiguities uh, and you have, um, there's no ambiguities, you know. man. Well, no, I mean, people but, just don't want. Have, people just don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I'm saying, I mean, look at the, the part of the conversation we just got finished with. I mean, I assume that the fake electors and all that would lead you to a conclusion, not you personally, but lead one to a conclusion that um, this all stems from one man's attempt to stay in power when there was uh, no reason to, right? That there was no evidence that he sh- he should stay in power. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That that that. And that's what I mean. Like, so, so people no, that's will a good start point. nuancing me, all this, you know? Well, no, no, no. Let me say, because yeah. we had this conversation offline. And, and yeah. so what the conversation was, is because you were bringing up, hey, the fake electors, like that's, that's bad stuff too. But the distinction there is that the fake electors, all the other stuff that was happening, all the lying, all the, the, the different stuff, those are potentially crimes. And so you can be charged for that kind of stuff. The Constitution doesn't say if you commit a crime and during an election or after an election that you can't run for president anymore. Like that's not that, that when we're asking the question of is this person eligible to run for president again, then if we're looking at that constitutional qualification in the 14th Amendment. Whether if whether someone fake electors is just de, de, not de just, but it's just defrauding the United States. Like so you could be charged with a crime. Maybe you have to go to jail or something like that. But you can still run for office if that's all you do. You know, so again, that's why you got it. It's important to keep this stuff clear. What we're talking about isn't whether or not a crime, so to speak, was engaged in defrauding the United States, doing, you know, did all this deception, fraud, all this. It was just whether insurrection was engaged by anyone because the people who stormed the Capitol, any of those who weren't officers of the United States previously, they could run for office. But only the people who had taken an oath before to, to you know to support defend the constitution and been a part of that insurrection whether it be you know organizing inciting or actually running through the gates you know those are the people that are implicated by this 14th amendment but i'm sorry go ahead yeah no i mean that's 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 pretty much this everything that we're talking about it was what makes this so nuanced because number one is i i, I think you know everybody that wants to look this this objectively and is not being a sycophant that just can't say Mr. Trump's never done anything wrong. I mean, even I, I personally know supporters of his, which they'll acknowledge and say, yeah, of course he's done wrong things and he's done this, but I still like him. I was like, okay, well, at least you can acknowledge that he's, you know, he's, he hasn't been perfect. So the point is, is that like we're saying that there, there was violence on a day. You're right. There's an insurrection uh, or clause against insurrection. Violence did happen. Can you tie the two directly that, Mr. Trump knew violence was going to happen and didn't stop it or that he he in, in, incited it to happen and all that. That's actually the process that's being played out now. That's actually, I mean, this is again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me step back what I was going to say because I was going to go Yoda on us and go with the fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering. There's a lot of fear out there and the fear has been ginned up by people's media ecosystems and whatever they're looking at. So Mr. Trump built a lot of fear with his um, uh, accomplices in the media over during that period of time in 2020 that the election was being stolen and the country was going to hell and all this, right? There's other people out there now that are that are full of fear that if he gets back in office that the country's going to go to hell and all this. So we're all operating on any side of this argument. Most people are coming from a fear angle which means that they're probably a bit angry about it, which means that they're probably going to hate the other side and not want to listen to anything and blah, 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 right? So what I'm saying is that because there's, we're all, not we personally, right, but a lot of people, what we're losing here is nuance. The ability to nuance this is a very complex and serious conversation. 
And so that's where I'm going with this is that if you look at, I went and looked at the nine page filing that Jack Smith did, which is the prosecutor in DC that's specifically, you know, bringing this case, you know, I guess he's the lead attorney on this case. And what I realize is the grand jury represents which case? the, cause he's not, he's not on the 14th amendment, you know, Jack no, Smith the United States District Court of Columbia. Yeah. The USA versus Donald Trump. So him, oh, so, so the crimes of defrauding. But again, that's different than whether or not Trump. No, but he gets into it. Is my point. But so, again, I mean, I think that I see. I don't think we're losing nuance. You know, I think that what it is basically is that we are losing principle. If you're if you remain principled here, then you focus on the key things. You know, like and again, I did not to knock you, but in that case, the Jack Smith stuff is not particularly relevant here. Like the Colorado, you know, district court level, appeal court level. All of those found and in the Supreme Court found that he engaged in insurrection. So if somebody's going to you know, argue that he didn't engage in insurrection, then, yeah, that he'll have a chance to do that before the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, he's been unsuccessful at that. And then there have been some states, though, where they didn't make the step that the Colorado Supreme Court did either for whatever reason. You know, and but again, as far as what stands out in terms of the opposition. What stands out to me is the idea that all of them are disregarding principle for what they think something they think is more important, whether it's be the people who, you know, just support Trump, you know, whether like, okay, I just like Trump. So therefore, I'm going to disregard the principle that we that we're a nation of laws and not a nation of men. And the 14th Amendment says what it says. I'm going to disregard that. And I'm going to say that this is this shouldn't apply to him for, you know, and I'll make up some reason, you know, to sound like I thought about it. But really, I just don't like it. But equally, the people who are saying, no, you know, the way to defeat a populist like Trump is at the ballot box. It's a it's a dangerous it's bad news to, to try to take this person out and just taking them off the, the, um, the, the, the ballot. That's a, that person is afraid. One, you know, the, the, and, and what they're saying could be true, but that person is setting aside the principle of we are the, 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 the Constitution is the supreme law of land because they think politically it would be better for the country. If we don't follow the principle. So they're on opposite sides of the spectrum. One of them is, is, you know, loving Trump. One of them saying Trump is bad, but they're both saying, hey, let's put aside our print, the, the principle of rule of law and let's do something that we think is, you know, not as not as scary or that we like better. That makes us feel better. Um, th- th- we've seen this all year and make Trump a martyr. Yeah, you might, you know, but if you're yeah. going to be if you're going to be <laughs> principled, if you're going to be principled, sometimes you have to do things that you're not crazy about doing. So to me. I look at the, the the people who oppose it from the Republican side or from the Democratic side as like, yeah, you guys are all doing the same thing. Now, you, they, what it is is that they come up with different rationalizations depending on what side, whether they want him in power again or they just want him to run and then hopefully lose. But it's all about setting aside the principle and getting to something that you that you want again, regardless of what you might be making a good point. But you're still setting aside principle, you know, so you just let's yeah. not let's not be unclear about that. So I think the principle piece is what really stands out to me about that. And yeah, it's before we move, uh, well, I was going to say just I want to keep us moving. The um, the Supreme Court, you know, we know this is going to the U.S. Supreme Court. Supreme Court's taken a beating over the past few years. And, you know, like it's it's not necessarily looked at in the same way that it has been historically. And not to say that they've always been looked at great, but I mean, they, they were. For in many respects, I guess maybe up until Bush v. Gore, you know, like they were trying to hold an image of a being above politics. But your thoughts on their role here, you know, like and, and then just kind of the timing of it all. And, you know, just get them just throwing it to, you know, just on, on the Supreme Court piece. And that this is good. They're ultimately going to be the ones to decide this. 
you know, they, they, the hand grenade has, has been thrown yeah. to them. So, you know, no, what, I think, what, um, thought? no, it's interesting, man. I mean, look, reading, um, and I, I, I know you'll post the, um, the actual, the Jack Smith case, the link to it, because in reading that document, I mean, it's evident that it, it's, it's because it's a good reminder, not only of what I already said, but I mean, he gets into how um, former President Trump has been supportive of the January 6th rioters, has commented he'll pardon them, he, that he knows that his supporters listen to him. You know, when you look at his behavior that day, how long it took him to tell people to go home. So it, it all leads to this idea that the president was supportive that people were violent on his behalf, even though there's no evidence that to support their violent behavior. Um, and so that to me is very interesting. So that, again, the reason I bring it up after your specific question here is it appears that there is a legal case that has been made that looks to me like it, it, everything I saw with my own eyes and everything I experienced since. Remember, that's I, the case that the not just you, the Colorado Supreme Court, the, the Colorado yeah, exactly. Appeal Court, They're like the, so, there's courts of law that have, have looked at that. And, you know, like it's yeah, it, it's well, that's what I'm getting at is if well, you look just, just to your point to yeah. tie something else that you said earlier. Yeah, it does. It, even Trump's arguments against the application of the 14th Amendment against him don't seem to focus mainly on that he didn't engage or assist people engage in insurrection. It seems to be yeah. like, oh, no, I wasn't I didn't I wasn't an officer. Right? Like he's making all these other arguments. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's like yeah. it's like the classified documents argument, right? He's never he's, he never said, "Oh, I don't have them" or "I didn't take them." He just decided to say, "Okay, well, they're mine." Now that you yeah. saw that I got them, it's like, okay, well, your answer kind of tells you that you you did it. You don't deny that you took you know the classified information. So here's the same thing. So you know, I, I bring all that up to say, yeah. So my opinion is, yes, the Supreme Court has a huge role here because, as we're saying, they are the Supreme Court, right? They're, they're the, Their job they're the, is they're to the top, interpret the Constitution. Yeah, they're the top uh, uh, judicial body in the country. So they're the ones that have to give us the answers. And I know we talked offline about this. I mean, my thing is, I'm not here to say that they should support what Colorado or Maine have done or that they should be totally against it. They should just they should make a decision so the country knows what to do. So all other 50 states yeah. can have some sort of guidepost and this doesn't keep happening. Imagine if this happens in another three, four states over the next two months as you're getting really into the primary and people are showing up to vote. So, and we and remember, still don't know what they're going to say, you mean. Like, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like if this happens, and there's the logistics. Happens, I was, yeah. uh, no, I was just saying the logistics, just for people to, you know, we all know the real world. I watched the Secretary of State of Maine. She said, she goes, I have, I have a... I, I've made this decision, but it's not final. I'm waiting for the upper courts to rule. And she said, she goes, so we, I have not instructed like our vendors and contractors to go ahead and start producing the ballots with people's names on them because I want a ruling, but we only have so much time. And so I think that what the Supreme Court needs to do, which I don't understand why they haven't in both this case and Trump's immunity case, um, you know, does he get immunity or not? You know, it's nine human beings. That's it. And they're pretty smart. They're all judges that are at the top of their game. I don't understand why they literally can't just go on a retreat one day somewhere in Virginia or Maryland, you know, a couple, an hour drive outside of D.C. and just sit down in a room and say, guys, we got to solve this for America. And we got to put all our little, you know, whatever differences we got, whatever, because you're right. They have become politicized, unfortunately. But I, I'm, dis I, I'm disheartened. And this is something that is, I saw an article on the weekend. I just decided, wow, this might be interesting once you dis decided to bring the Supreme Court into this. 
they have a year-end report every year. And of course, the Chief Justice, John Roberts, signs up. In this year, year's year-end report, his whole primary thing was artificial intelligence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't talk anything about the ethics issues that they really have that are serious. Yeah. He didn't talk about the this stuff. Huge this constitutional this, questions. Yeah, these huge yeah. constitutional crises that were about to unfold and say, you know, we're taking it very serious. We want to show the American people that we have the best interest in so, yeah, I, I am concerned that the, the Supreme Court appears to have abdicated their responsibility and they're going to take up cases that have to do with easements and eminent domain and environmental stuff and all that before they take up a case. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, I know this isn't about the show, but the immunity case is very important to me because them kicking that can down the road means Trump may be the nominee before they decide. Yeah. And, on, and on this one, I feel like with this insurrection thing, one thing that if for those that do want to spend the time to read the clause of the 14th Amendment, the, um, the clause on the insurrection, it states anyone who engaged in insurrection. It doesn't say has been convicted. The Supreme Court, if they want to give Trump a little favor, they could easily just say, OK, we're going to rule because that was an actual war and this and that. We're going to interpret that they, re- you know, they had to really because I was reading that um, Ulysses S. Grant pardoned all the Confederates except the top 500. And they said that actually let another 150,000 Confederates just go, you know, and then they could assimilate back into the system. And so that's what I'm saying is that well, the Supreme Court could do something. Is I guess. Well, yeah, and, and, I mean, I think they have to do something is really like they have to do something. And to your point, they have to do it fast. Like this is not one to just take, you know, and then, hey, we'll get to it when we get to it, because this is an election year. And at minimum, it's a disservice. It's a disservice to everyone. Yeah. The uncertainty. The uncertainty is the worst part. Like, OK. These constitutional questions have been made or been raised. They are the ultimate authority on what the Constitution, not just what it says, but what it means. And so, yeah, the Constitution doesn't say convicted. You know, it doesn't. You know, it says that engaged so that it can be read and has been read to not require conviction. If they want to reinterpret it, it wouldn't be the first time the the Supreme Court reinterprets something to, to say something different because of the current makeup of the court or whatever. Then while Legal people might think that that's disingenuous or say, oh, I thought you guys were originalists or text, you know, looking at the text only and oh, you're a hypocrite. All of that stuff. People can say all that, but at least we'd have certainty at that point. Or if they want to stick stick to just the words and say, hey, you know, or, or stick to the idea of states rights. They say, hey, you know, like we, we just we, these if these uh, states decide this is what it you know, this is what happened, then we'll stick with it. But the, the uncertainty is what is, I think, the most corrosive. We, we yeah. can recover from a decision in any direction, uh, you know, again, and it's that's not to say that we would agree. You know, most of us or a lot of us won't agree with whatever decision they make. But ultimately, the, the indecision is what is the most harmful. And I, I, I think it was fair to bring up the immunity thing in this sense because it's the same kind of thing. The indecision is what is the most corrosive to the system. You make a decision, you make, you, you make, it, you make it swift and you, you stick with it then at minimum, people can get their outrage processed and then we can get back to business, so to speak. Yeah. But as long as this stuff hangs in the air and people don't kind of know, you know, like, well, where, where's the solid ground? Where should we be? You know, I'm talking all this principle stuff. But again, like you said, they could come back and say, OK, well, yeah, we, we interpret the word engaged to mean they were convicted in a criminal court. And it's like, all right, well, you you that's not what it says, but that's what you're yeah, saying yeah. it means. So that ends the well, argument, though, you know. But, you know, there's a precedent for this, which is, I can just keep thinking as you're talking, which is the 2000 election. And by precedent, I mean, not not that it was exactly the same or that the, the, the circumstances were exactly the same, 
But the precedence that there was something, right, hanging chads on a ballot. And the question was, what do you do? This, 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 this ballot looks like someone may have tried to, 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 to vote for this person, but it's not punched all the way through. Remember the dimple then the chads and all that's the hanging chads and all that crap. So somebody had to make a decision, right? Like, does a little imprint mean it's a vote or does it have to be punched all the way through? And the Supreme Court stepped in. Let me add made a little the decision because yeah. I think it's an excellent point. The, the Florida Supreme Court made one decision and this is in December. And they're like, look, you know, we're going to try to count every vote to the best of our ability. And so they ordered a recount. They're like, if it's if it's pushed, you know, whatever. That was Florida the Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court quickly came in and said, no, that would they made up some. It, 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 it doesn't it deprives others. Some, some This is all in the state of Florida. As I said, well, it doesn't give equal protection to some people in Florida versus other people in Florida. If some counties are if they're more forgiving with how they're they're tab, you know, tabulating it, if it's not poked all the way through. So Florida has to stop counting. And that was their decision. But a lot of people disagreed with it. But they made yeah. it quickly, and then the country could kind of okay get calibrate itself and say, okay, all right, now this is the decision. This is what we got to roll with. There's nowhere to go beyond the Supreme Court. To his credit, Al Gore, who I mean, that's a much closer thing. And you know, like Al Gore was like, all right, we'll honor it. You know, we'll do the tra- transition of power. He didn't call you know thousands of people to the Capitol to to rush the building. You know, like so, and we moved on as a country. Like there are there are people who are still upset about that, but. They gave us certainty. So I think I think that's the key piece of no, that it's, is that and, they did it quickly and they moved and then the country was able to, 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 to kind of move forward. But and as you're as you're saying it, and then I know we want to move to part two is and yeah. I'll, I'll leave my parting comments here. Um, number one, you, you, you bring up something that uh, I can see it is two important parts that it took. One was the system working efficiently, which to your point was a Supreme Court. They stepped in, said, okay, we're going to make a decision here. Not everyone's going to like it, but we got to make a decision, right? And then the second part was a part I alluded to earlier about kind of norms. And then we had a politician who, again, he acted in the traditional norms of the American system, which was to allow the power to transition and just and just let it go. You know, I'm sure Al Gore was unhappy, 537 votes well, yeah, in a I state mean, that cast 6 million votes. Su- well, the, the decision the yeah. Supreme Court made was without precedent. And yeah. it was it, you talk about all oh, we've never seen this stuff before. That was something we had never seen before. And it's, yeah, stop yeah. the count. Stop counting yeah. the votes. No, exactly. Immediately. Uh, 537 <laughs> votes yeah. ahead for George million. Bush with 6 million votes cast in the state. So, yeah, Al Gore had a right to be upset, but he behaved under our traditional norms of the American system. And to your point, you know, people were unhappy, but the system moved on. And that's the contrast to today. We have a Supreme Court that seems, for whatever reason, to be um, incapable of moving fast on anything. Um, and then the second thing is we have a politician here who's the subject of all this, who has broken the norms of our traditions. And so when you when you put those two together, we're here. And, and, and my final point is, as I'm reading and doing and looking at this legal stuff, what I realize is part of, I think, this moment for all of us as Americans is not so much, you said this on a recent show about looking in the past, and you're right, like we do got to look at the past and we look at precedent and legal stuff and all that. But part of this is just what kind of like discourse and, and way of being together do we want to have going forward as Americans? And that's why I say like the nuancing of engaged versus convicted or is it how much violence or not violence. At the end of the day, we all we all have been experiencing this last three years together. And it's just 
Do we want to continue to allow people to run for office in our country that continually attack the system? And and how healthy is that going to be in the long run? So, well, but that's, that's kind of the what, what there, I pull out that's of this. a that's a fraught question though because do we want to allow it? Well, yes, unless there's some reason legally or constitutionally that you know, you know that that bars them from doing so. Your question is, do people want to keep voting for people like that? Because yeah, ideally, that's what voters, I'm saying. It is a yeah, separate. The voters send yeah. a say, like the system should allow it unless there's a law or a, a constitutional amendment that has been violated. If somebody wants to, if somebody's 32 and wants to run for president, it's not like overly dramatic if they're like, "Nah, you can't run for president. You're not 32." It says in the Constitution they can't. But should the voters continue to throw support behind? you know, people who are hostile to the system, essentially, you know, like, and that, that, that raises a, a deeper question, though, because what that, that raises, or that the assumption there is that the voters aren't hostile to the system as well, you know, so, and that's the, that, that's what we're going to see over the next few years looking forward is how many people have become hostile to the system and saying, hey, the system doesn't give me what I want. I want a society that looks like this, or that, you know, it, it, where people, I were, you know, like, we're governed by religious law or yada, yada, yada. And if they become hostile to the system, then, yeah, this is the kind of politician that they want. So right, but I, we'll I move- out. since since I'm over 35, I'm going to have my 25 year old son run for president in 2028 and he won't be 35. <laughs> so I will um, make sure that um, we try and break you know, all those anti-democratic people. You, you can go yeah, at them then. Yeah, I'm going to so. break the Constitution. Yeah. <laughs> so. But now our second topic, second topic today uh, we wanted to discuss was just the enter in 2024. You know, the reports have been coming in. They've been rolling in for a while just because it was kind of clinched a while back. But a lot, a lot of literature out there on 2023 being the warmest year on record. And this is obviously not in the billions of years that the Earth has been around. But this is just in since we've been keeping records. Uh, and so, you know, like I, I, I'm going to I don't necessarily want to guide this in a particular direction, but just your thoughts on seeing that the warmest year on record. And one of the things that was noted or that has been noted is that the rate of increase in temperature continues to rise. And so it's not a we, we, we go these, these gradual curves or whatever like that. It's like there's gradual curves, gradual curves. Gradual, and, then zoom. and so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we got this this super sharp, you know, incline that we're on. And so just, hey, we, th- there's. Anyone who is kind of concerned or wants to act on the climate is kind of already there. Anybody who doesn't, for whatever, you know, they've, they've come up with their rationalizations or whatever, and they're not really going to be moved. Oh, yeah, more, more news that, you know, the climate's warming or whatever. They're not going to be moved on that. So the kind of the battle lines, people are entrenched kind of where they are now. Um, and, you know, so I'm not going to get into necessarily like, oh, you know, what do you think is it really happening? But just more so that we're just we continue down this this march of a warming planet. And, you know, we're like, so just your thoughts. Yeah, man, um, I guess maybe just because we're still, you know, on the flow of a dialogue here. Um, it, it, I couldn't help but think when I saw some of these headlines, it reminds me of the headlines from kind of the, the topic one, d- generally like democracy being at risk and this kind of global risk of democracy. And uh, you're right, it's like, all right, all these headlines, you know, all this, all this, all this doom and gloom and all this. And I think, we as a society, because I feel it in myself, you can just kind of accept that, okay, maybe it's inevitable. Maybe it's inevitable that the earth will just heat up and we're not going to stop burning fossil fuels <laughs> and all that. We're not going to stop. And, and maybe it's inevitable that these democracies will collapse and they'll have an entropy and, you know, well, there'll be a great democracies again 500 years from now when I can't see them. So, so, so it's kind of like, yeah, it's like I'm, I'm beginning to be a bit apathetic towards, unfortunately, towards some of this climate 
um, alarmism, and, and which I tend to agree with. Like, that's my point. I, I feel weird saying this. I totally believe the science of climate change, that it's, it's, it's humans have influenced it through the burning of fossil fuels since the start of the industrial age, you know, 150 years ago. And if you just look at the information, it makes sense. And it all adds up from, from a kind of scientific standpoint. And it's, and it's withstood the scientific method. And I don't have time on this discussion to get into all that evidence. I mean, we could probably do a whole and show. There's on no it. point because you know, no, like, exactly because the like people that would watch it are people that agree with us probably, and the people yeah. that disagree think it's a hoax anyway. And so, and so, that's kind of my point. Is saying I'm, I'm looking out and I'm just realizing like, and then to see um, recently, and I, and I appreciate this because I think everybody should be part of a discussion if you're trying to solve something big like this that's global. But it's almost like now we're, we're this recent one, this COP27 um, conference was held in one of the biggest fossil fuel producing nations in the world. Um, and it's just like, you know, we've gone from a trying to like say we want to rid ourselves of this type of energy over time to just saying that, OK, maybe we can't <laughs> just. So, yeah. you know, I just, I just feel like, I, like I we're going to keep going this direction. <laughs> no, I see. I wouldn't call it apathy because if, I, if I'm, I'm in a democratic society, if I'm given the choice to support a politician who says that, you know, hey, let's try to do something about climate change versus one who says, hey, it's, 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 you know, it's BS, it's not real, I would support the one who says, let's try to do something about it. So, I mean, it's something I, I care about, but I share your kind of almost like throw your hands up like, hey, this, this looks like this train is just not going to stop. Like, I think industry... Yeah has us in a way, you know, big industry has us in a way that it's just like the, the there's not going to be, I don't foresee there being sufficient political will at any point in the near future for us to fundamentally ch- make the kind of fundamental changes that need to happen or even really get push them down the road fast enough to make any real difference. And what's, what I'm reminded of, actually, we did, you know, remember we did a show on the book Sapiens a while back. And one of the things that talked about was anytime human beings, homo sapiens showed up in an environment, they changed the environment. They forever yeah. changed it. You know, they altered the environment and then so it, it looked one way. Then they showed up. They changed it. You know, they have these large animals, you know, mars- these super marsupials in Australia before there was humans. Humans show up, they kill them all. And, and then they adapt to the new, you know, n- environment, so to speak, you know, that they're in. So humans change their environment. It, it Essentially, it appears like it was only a matter of time. Like we do it to micro environments everywhere we show up. So it seems like if we're on the earth and there's enough of us, it was going to be inevitable that we're going to change the macro environment. And we'll just have to adapt to whatever's left after that. And it'll be hard. It'll be, you know, it'll introduce difficulties, you know, like weather patterns will change, you know, like wet, yeah. wet areas where you can grow food will change versus others. All of that stuff will change. That'll create a lot of political upheaval, a lot of suffering and things like that. But it just seems like that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And I imagine if you go back into ancient times, there were people saying, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't kill all of these animals. Let's let's all of, let's not kill all the woolly mammoth. Let's 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 save some of them." And then you know, like and and those people lost, yeah. <laughs> like they lost the argument. You know, it's a like, good example. Actually, there's a real um, microcosm or ecosystem of that. If uh, you're familiar, and a lot of the viewers and listeners are familiar with the famous Easter Island that has those big heads on it, yeah. Apparently, they assumed that that island, like the main island itself, might have had up to eight, a population of up to 8,000 at one point. And they think it was the same thing, just kind of deforestation and, and, and just that they, they sucked the resources of that island just dry. And eventually, and then they, they, they believed that they started infighting. 
and basically kill themselves off in a sense. Yeah. So, so <laughs> instead of I'm just sure saying, that's happened more than then, though. Like, no, exactly. That's, that's just kind of that seems to it be shows that they had. No, I mean, it shows that they had trade and maritime, you know, they had the ability, like they got there on ships that they clearly had the ability to leave. <laughs> My point is, so that's what again, too, unlike us, where we can't leave the earth anytime soon, even with a choice to probably leave and explore somewhere else, there's enough people that say, nah, this is my home. You know how humans are. I'm not leaving and all this. And then, you know, the, the, there's no people there now. I feel like maybe we're missing the, the larger arc that we're on here and that, yes, there, there, and I'm not, I think the fight is righteous to try to yeah. live in a more sustainable way. You know, like I, I, I think it's a good idea. If you if you live somewhere, it's a good idea to try to take care of it a little bit, you know. But yeah. it doesn't seem like, on balance, human beings are very capable, you know, of doing that. There's plenty of people who want to do that, but the people who don't care either seem to outnumber or out they 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 are able to 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 win out over the people who do, you know. Or maybe, you it, know, maybe the it problem takes less is, people who is, don't care to ruin something than it does takes people who care to, to preserve it. Yeah, no, and I think the problem is is for us is that it and you've made this joke before, the earth's gonna take care of itself, right? Yeah, earth is gonna and be I think here. that's your that's that's your point about you know our climate patterns will change like they have been, it'll get hotter, we'll have stronger hurricanes and typhoons and all that stuff. It might get drier so, in places where we like to grow food. Yeah, you know, like- and at this point it's undeniable. I mean, you know, we 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 just had a, basically a tropical storm here in South Florida. Two weeks ago in the middle of December. Again, these are things that are unheard of, you know, and um, this type of climate that you're, you're, you have almost a hurricane type force winds this late into the year. And so the, 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 I, I read an article, which was interesting to me, that shows me why this is so difficult. It was talking about how the holiday season creates this huge amount of trash. And it's from the LA Times. So it's about the Los Angeles, I guess the greater Los Angeles area. Yeah, trying to deal with and all it, that. Yeah. Yeah, and it says, so these are numbers from, of course, a year ago. It says, the city collected 2.4 tons of cardboard in December 2022, compared with 16.42 tons in January of 23. That's just cardboard. That's not plastic. That's not metals. From 2 billion to 16 billion, sorry, 2 tons to 16 tons just in a month because of the holidays. Then it said January also saw 96.78 tons of Christmas trees. So I started thinking in my mind about the environment. I just thought, honestly, okay, I know LA is a big metropolitan area in the United States, but it's one of several. We got New York, yeah. Chicago, down here, South Florida. So I'm thinking, man, that uh, that increase in tonnage in just that one month is crazy because that's all got to go somewhere, right? Yeah. That that goes to landfills and in the ocean and all that. And then I thought about 96 tons of Christmas trees just in the LA market. Then I thought, man, that's amazing. I was obviously going to be a lot more than that in the whole United States. So then I started thinking, so hold on, how many freaking millions of acres do we have just to plant and harvest Christmas trees for one day in the year? And you see what I'm saying, James, is it's not the people in the Middle East, it's not someone else out there that's going to drive this off a cliff, it's us as individuals, us as consumers. Because if I try to run for office saying, hey, you know what, it might be better if everybody actually got a plastic Christmas tree that could last 10 years. And let's, yeah, you'd, let, be, you'd the, be a part of the war on Christmas at that point. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Say, let the soil. And, yeah, let the soil recover. Maybe we could plant different kind of plants that actually could feed humans. Um, you know, or maybe we could do some. You know, it, and 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 obviously, did, you know, are we recycling these trees? Are they, is the wood going for pulp or something else? 
there's all kind of ways you could play this, but people would say that I'm anti-Christmas. If I said we need to stop wrapping with gifts with plastic and all this stuff and just these tons. So is it, people would say that I'm just we already know this. If yeah. you said so, let's use paper straws instead of plastic straws, yeah, people would point. call you a communist. <laughs> you know, so, so it's I, just that's why I say I, I, but let us I'm much out. less optimistic on this. And that's, I'll just finish here because of us, the consumer. We don't want yeah. to change. Yeah, no, I that's mean, and that's, I, I think that's what it is. Like, it, it appears like the, the people who are trying to, to say, hey, let's make the change now, it appears like they're going to lose. And, yeah. and it appears like throughout history, that's what's happening. <laughs> but the reason why it seems like is that human beings on mass don't change until they have to, you know? And then so, like, it seems like we just have to wait. Well, we don't have to wait. We can always try. We can, we should try. But yeah. we're, as, a, as a species, we're going to have to wait until we mess things up. And then it'll force the changes. And then we'll just be left with something that is lesser than it could have been if we would have changed earlier. But that seems to just be the way that human beings on mass operate. You know, like we just we go we come in, we change it. And, you know, you know, when they stop killing woolly mammoths, when the woolly mammoths were gone, yeah. you know, they didn't stop before. Yeah. So that's just how it goes. And so but I think I mean, that's such a pessimistic message to begin the year with. Um, so the, the, the point being that beyond that though, is that I don't think this is, that'll be the end of human beings, but what it will do is change the way that we operate. It's going to force changes and, you know, change, changing and stuff can be difficult. It can cause strife and so forth, but ultimately it, it will be something that human beings, if you go by the historical patterns, will find a new normal after that, you know. But yeah. nonetheless, I, I do want to, again, emphasize that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try because however much we can do now before we are forced to change is going to be is going to make it more pleasant for the time after we're forced to change. So but let's let's, let's close up from here, man. Uh, you know, go, happy new year to everyone. We appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode of Call Like I See It. Subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review it, tell us what you think. Send it to a friend. Until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Alamana. All right, we'll talk to you next time.